If you like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talco Supremo. And a shout out to uh, one of the messages that we got um, over the Christmas holiday from one of our Taco Supremos whose child really loves the surprise shot song. With the raspberries. Thank you, Megan, for sharing this video. So cute. Can you say surprise shots? Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Hi, <laughs> guys. Welcome, guys, back to Talk Murder to Me. John and Nicole here. We're still missing Jen. Very sad. Jen will be back on Thursday. Yes, on Thursday's episode, she'll be back. So instead of doing surprise shots, we're just drinking sake shots of sadness. But the sake's pretty good. That was one of our Christmas goodies. Yeah, fill me up. I did. It's right there. Are you supposed to take shaki? It's really good. Saki as a shot or like all at, or sip Well, it. I thought it was shots, but that one place that we went, it was like a beer. No, it, it, yeah, they poured it in a wine glass. Yeah, it was a wine glass. All right, this is the Peter Curtin part two. The Vampire of Dusseldorf. And... I actually can't believe I didn't ask this question the first episode. I only thought of it listening back. Like, why didn't I ask this? Uh, how did he get his nickname? Because so far, he's not drinking anybody's blood. I like how he said, so far. This is episode two, <laughs> where he gets his nickname. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess I guess my question was timely. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a great question, Nicole, and... I guess you can just read this to figure out oh, for yourself. Okay, well. Oh, well, shit. We didn't talk about this. I know. It's for episode two. Okay. In the case of Oliger. The eight-year-old, member, The eight-year-old that we spent a lot of time talking about. I also sucked blood from the wound on her temple and from sheer the stab in the neck. From the girl Schulte, I only licked the blood from her hands. It was the same with the swan in the Hofgarten. I used to stroll at night through the Hofgarten very often, and in the spring of 1930, I noticed a swan sleeping at the edge of the lake. I cut its throat. Blood spurted up, and I drank from the stump and ejaculated. Oh my god, he I thought he was like calling swan, you know, like that um No, like a beautiful white swan. He, no, I thought we were talking about the um uh deliver justice episode where the oh, woman's name yeah. was Swan. I was like, Oh no, he, it's a nickname or it's actually the name. Nope. Cut a beautiful swan's head off and drank from it. So that's how he gets his name Vampire Dusseldorf. <laughs> That was a good question. So, does he do that for? Did he do that for every victim? Um, no, I, I think he started trying it, you know, and but I don't think he did it for every victim. In the book, that was actually the only spot where I saw that he did that, hmm. unless I missed one or two. But you know, I would have, I would have definitely noticed it. But all right, so let me recap from last time: the Vampire of Dusseldorf, Peter Curtin, Curtin. 
Curtain with K. Curtain with K. <laughs> it's not as bland and drab otherwise as it sounds. Yeah, give me some more sake, would you? Sorry we're drinking sake for a German story, but, you know, it's what we had. I think they drink sake over there. Well, yeah, but they drink a lot of beer in Germany. We're drinking sake and or, wine. Oh, shit, sorry. That's fine. You're sorry for pouring too much? That's not a thing. I'm a huge fan of sake, man. I like sweet sake. This one's not bad. I like Remember that flavored. one time that we tried? I was like, oh my God, that was brutal. Yeah. All right. So let me recap a little bit. The vampire of Dusseldorf, Peter Curtin, he had his serial killer spree in 1929. It was basically a one year period where he just went crazy. Now, he was a criminal long before that, as we talked about last episode. We talked about his childhood growing up. You know, we talked about how he fell in love with sheep. And then, <laughs> and then around that time, you know, he linked violence to sex. And why stuff like is that. having sex with sheep so common? Are they like I easy targets? <laughs> you know? I guess. What the fuck? Do I they mean, not put up a struggle? Like, do they fall asleep? Oh, I mean, you I live way out in bumfuck, you know, when there ain't no pretty girls around, you know, or in in that case, Pee Wee Gaskins, pretty guys around. Then you're just gonna. Go find, find the, the sheep. nearest furry thing. Yeah. But I feel like sheeps are a very common animal to do yeah, that. Yeah, they with. are. A lot of people overseas do it. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Like uh, villagers and oh, I've, all these. Oh, I thought you meant men in military. <laughs> I've heard that. I've, I've never, I don't know if men in military do it or not. Well, if they do and get caught, they'll be definitely kicked out. Oh, that's really? Fucking cr- yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe this was a rumor, but I feel like I remember. So my uncle is in the or was in the Navy. He's retired now, but they had a stint in Scotland, and he recalls that being a thing. Oh my god! Because there's a lot of sheep up there. There's a lot of psychopaths in the military. <laughs> it is one of those uh, the tr- the careers yeah. of a serial killer. It is like when I was going through my PTSD therapy. You know, I I asked uh, my therapist, you know, I I asked her because we were doing all these murder podcasts and all these stories. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of worried. You know, I took that psychopathy test. Am I a psychopath? And she what she told me, she was like, listen. And the test said you were. (laughs) (laughs) She said, yeah, probably. No, she said, listen, you're here right now. A psychopath wouldn't be here. That's good. Yeah, exactly. A psychopath. Should, is it bad if you stop going? <laughs> and then I stop going. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> uh, I'll cut that part out. <laughs> yeah, I did stop going. <laughs> but yeah, Maybe it makes you sense, should keep you know? your appointments. And what she was trying to get with it is military has a lot of psychopaths. The guys, you know, in the they infantry. They just want to. I mean, if you think about it, like yeah. they want to blow shit up and exactly. kill people. Exactly. So. And I, I was like that too when I was 20 something, like seriously, I wanted to blow everything up, Yeah, you know, and I would probably still be like that. Well, probably not anymore, but I mean, I was definitely like that around that age and we did blow a lot of shit up, but, <laughs> and it was awesome <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah. So I probably just start going back to therapy. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> hey, shout out. We forgot to uh, mention this in our, um, our last 
episode. But we had um, lunch with one of our Taco Supremos, Rhiannon, and her husband, Ray. Yes. Um, They were in the Charleston area, hit us up. We had some amazing food with them and their two awesome, pretty cool kids. And we say that saying, like, like, John and I don't really like kids, but they're older, so they're cool, too. Um, And so John's got his special ops kit uh, shirt or no. Green Beret shirt yeah, so and all, he, some goodies from them. So that was awesome. Just want to shout out Rhiannon and, and Ray. And we are probably going to have to do a show in Dustin, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, That was a really fun time. We went to Ace and Barbecue and um, I wanted to swap some war stories with uh, her husband, but he has me beat <laughs> by a lot. He's so, been deployed <laughs> more times than you have. I was just trying to be humble and modest, you know, and, and but Rhiannon's her encyclopedia of true crime will put anyone to shame. She knows more mm-hmm. about true crime stories than I have ever seen. Yep. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it was really fun. I had a really good time. Um, so thank you so much. It was really awesome. All right, let's get back to it. First, we're going to talk about the survivors. Well, well wait, I didn't finish recapping. All right, to finish recapping. Okay, so I told you a little bit about the execution. Did you want to see that severed head again? Um, no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. That image is burned in my brain. Thank yeah. you. It is just in the, like um, the Luca Magnata video, which yeah. I just finished the miniseries on Netflix. So yeah. I'll wait till Jen gets back before we discuss that one. Yeah, I didn't watch it, but I had enough of that guy. Luca Magnata. So um the head, Peter Curtin's severed head is on display in the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum hmm. in uh Wisconsin there. So if you're around there, go see it. Peter Curtin actually requested a pardon, and he he had high hopes until the day he got executed that he was going to get a pardon for whatever reason. Why would he think that? <laughs> because like that is just so <laughs> fucking disillusioned. I don't know. Basically, what he thought is the judge was kind of opposed to capital punishment, so he just thought he would just pardon them all together. I don't know. It's very delusional, but. On the, the, like, I'm, it's not like he didn't commit the murder. There's still an alternative sentence here. Canada, you don't know what this is, but it's called life in prison without parole. Yeah. Oh, and this also caught my attention. During the last month, he made some response to the ministrations of the church, and he assured me, the professor writing the sadist book, that the waking fantasies and the sadistic imagery of former times had entirely vanished. He claimed that he was transformed into an entirely new being, although people outside might well not believe it. And that reminds me a lot of Chris Watts right now. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I just, God forgiven me for killing my entire family. Piece of shit. Yeah, they're all pieces of shit. So on July 1st, he received the news that his pardon was not going to go through, and he's an idiot. And quietly and composedly, he went to the block on the 2nd of July, 1931, and he got his head chopped off. The whole thing. And then sliced in two. Yeah. So he actually was in, uh, you know, the block. Basically, it's like a, you know, the guillotine. The guillotine, and they push the thing down over your head to trap your head in. So he was in that for about a basket for your head to roll in. Yeah, exactly. So about 30 seconds before the blade actually came down. And after that, it was, it was done. I really doubt 
he fulfilled his last fantasy of hearing the blood squirt out of his own neck because your ears, right, are in the basket. Well, your ear. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> fuck. That didn't make any sense. Leave future John. Please leave that in. <laughs> All right. But so, I wonder if, like, just the sound of the whoosh, like the guillotine about to, you know, come down upon him was enough to make him ejaculate. I wonder if they checked his pants. Uh, that's a good question. They should. <laughs> I don't know because I get from what I'm reading in this book. It's like an instantaneous thing. It's like as soon as he sees blood, it's just boom. Like no. Build up or pre-cum <laughs> or foreplay. Uh, I think oh, foreplay shit. was the word you're looking for. But <laughs> he actually was very cooperative. Like I said, he had really had no incentives to hide any bodies. So he actually made a list of all his uh, victims, if you see and here. And this is living or dead. Yeah, so this is living or dead, and you see uh, case number 6, 46, 57, 58, and it's a complete list. I can put this on talk murder, but it goes down, you know. And this is struggled only the free. ones. What's that? Th- str- lots of struggled freeze. Throttling yeah. during coitus. Hmm. Yeah. With outcome of throttling without result. Basically, he didn't, you know. Um, but I'll put that on talk murder. That's that's wow. all the ones that he could remember. You know, obviously, there's a lot more. So, hmm. so on this episode, we want to talk about the people we want to talk a little bit about the survivors because I think that's the best way to truly know the mind of a killer is if they have any surviving victims. So we're going to start there. And it's very interesting because the way he attacks his victims, they're really random. Most of the victims are really random except the victims that were his girlfriends. Mm -hmm. But he would basically walk up to some woman walking on the street, okay, alone through a footpath or something. And he would take a noose, like what you hang somebody with. And he would throw the noose around a victim's neck and basically drag them off stage. It reminds me of, if you think about those old um, TV clips that with no sound and, and the comedians dancing on the stage. And then that one, and maybe he sucks or something. And that one big cane comes out and grabs his oh, neck yeah, and then yeah. pulls him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. But um, he, there are a couple survivors, and uh, Nicole, you can read some of this stuff. I had my hands under the cord, and with all my strength, I tried to prevent the man from tightening the noose. I saw that he was very excited and that he was making great efforts to tighten the noose. I stumbled into the ditch towards the bank. The man held the noose tighter with one hand, with the other he throttled me. He threw me onto my back, fell to his knees beside me, and kept on strangling me. I caught hold of his nose and pinched the nostrils together. In a last effort, I succeeded in getting up. The man stepped back and took the rope off. He didn't speak a word. I ran away. Yeah, so pretty crazy, right? Yeah. If he can't get the victim where he wants them, he'll just quickly stab him to get a little satisfaction, you know, and then run. Hmm. On the 3rd of April, 1929, I was walking from the place where I used to work in the north part of the town by an ill-lit street. I heard steps behind me and saw a man coming. I walked more slowly in order to let him pass. The man must have jumped at me very quickly because suddenly something was flung over my head and I was jerked violently backwards. I was pulled from the road into the field. I could not shout for the man had tried to push a handkerchief into my mouth. I clenched my teeth. He said half aloud, open your mouth. 
he tightened the loop still more. Then he listened to see whether I still breathed and held his hand in front of my mouth. He then hauled me another 10 meters. I heard steps approaching and tried to shout, but I couldn't. I struggled with my legs. It was then that I was released and the man turned and ran away across the fields. I loosened the loop and dragged myself towards some people who were standing in the road. So she actually had the noose on her neck and you see what it says, I loosened the loop. I think he's like the only person I've heard doing that with the whole noose really quick. Yeah, since we've covered anyway. One guy actually saw one of the women being drug away and it says, quote, when I approached, I saw that a man was dragging a woman from behind from across the fields. She was not on all fours, but being literally dragged along the ground. Yeah, I mean, it's so lucky that so many of these women did get away. Yeah, and like I said, a lot of times, um, a lot of the survivors were actually his girlfriends, which is crazy. Now, I don't mean like long-term seven-year girlfriends. And they never turned him in. In his own words, he says about one of his affairs, quote, in June 1913, I picked up a girl on the Bremstrasse and took her out on several subsequent occasions. So they were dating, literally. Now, he has a wife at the time, okay, and he's going around and dating. He's not only killing people, but he's dating people, and the wife doesn't know. One Sunday, we went to a dance, and on the way home, I throttled her. He says, I throttled the girl. I mean, they've went out multiple times. He doesn't even use her name. I throttled the girl several times, and by throttle, if you remember from the first episode, I mean choking, not like just being on top of, like choking to death. Now, she got really scared, and that's when Peter Curtin said to her, quote, that's what love's like. I won't kill you, though. <laughs> now, after she after she got up, she ran and, uh, you know, informed the authorities. So they already knew about Peter Curtin to begin with. Here's uh, another one of his girlfriends that survived. I met T.D. and had sexual relations with her in her room where she was employed in Bodenestras. I got something good to eat there, too, and I could do with it, for I had, at that time, to work pretty hard. A week after meeting T.D., I had become acquainted with Mech, a homemade in, the, in a situation on the Bergschen Landstrasse. There, too, I got something to eat. I often grabbed T.D. by the throat and seized hold of her. When she got angry with me, I used to try to pacify her. That's what love means, I told her. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, fucking crazy. It's interesting he's also talking about his food, which, you know, yeah. I'm also, also concerned about what I eat and when I eat yeah. it. But his last meal, I believe, it was like a, um, I think it was a, and it was a glass of wine, a wiener schnitzel, and like a key lime pie or something like that. Hmm. So he's killed using multiple weapons. And as I was reading further in the book, I saw one line which said the reason he did that was to kind of confuse the police. So they're not looking for one person. And in fact, the police were looking for multiple suspects. You have a guy killing people with a hammer. You have a guy killing people with a chisel. You have a guy killing people with whatever. Well, we know that the hammer, as I'll show you the hammer strikes in a minute, the hammer was out of commission for him because he actually hit a victim so hard it broke. Oh, and that's why he switched to the dagger. But mm. in his words, he says he was trying to throw the cops off. Wow. All right. So let's start with the axe first. Now, this is a, a male victim, right? I told you mm-hmm. he doesn't really 
go after a male or female. He's Could just trying to get that. Yeah. yeah. He's just trying any anyone that bleeds, basically. So he says, quote, the drunk man sat on the bench. I approached him from behind and struck him with the sharp edge of an axe. He fell over. I took cover and saw how he bled. Then I ejaculated. Ejaculated. You know what's interesting? I think so. I think <laughs> we talked once, or maybe this was the same one, but we touched on it in the last episode. A man, and he too was like drunk or unconscious. So he's, it seems like that's the only re- way he'll go after a man. Yeah. He feels like he, he can yeah. take advantage. Yeah. The other man that Sheer, I think his name was Sheer, the other man, he basically just walked up to him and just stabbed him real quick and then. Yeah. Him. All right. Now, he also killed people with scissors. Yeah. This is one of the murder victims, um, Alberman. Now, it is a child. Okay, but I feel like it's important to put in in here. This is actually case 67 of, I think it was like 73. So this is almost when he gets caught. Case 67, the murder of the child Alberman. I set out with a pair of scissors at about 5 o'clock at night. I met a little girl at the Ackerstrasse. I talked to her and asked her quietly if she would come with me. We went into the open across some allotments as far as the wall of the Handel's place. The child went with me quite willingly and did not cry. I seized the child's throat and strangled it. I stabbed it in the left temple. The child collapsed without a sound. With my left hand, I held fast to her throat, knelt down and stabbed the child's breast with my, with my scissors. With the right hand, I felt the vagina after having removed her, the knickers. Then I carried the body a few meters towards Lenaustraus and put it into the stinging nettles. I cleaned my hands on the wet grass. It was raining. There was no blood stains on me. Fucking crazy. It's interesting that he does get sexual sometimes, though. Yeah. He also kills people with chisels. So it, does it only get sexual with children, from what you've noticed? No. Because of the girlfriend, maybe so. I don't know. That's a good question. Well, the first child, the first, the first child we talked about in the first one, that was still pretty sexual. Talked about removing her knickers and stuff like that. Then too, yeah, I guess I, that's a good question. I didn't actually think about that. Um, but you know, he also claims that he's not doing it for sexual satisfaction, and a, a well, lot of the is serial because he's ejaculating, yeah. whether or not. Well, you know, a lot of the serial killers do that. Ted Bundy did that too, if you remember. Oh, they just said it wasn't. Yeah, they just said it's not. Okay, so here's some chisel kills. Quote, I hit the girl several times. This is another victim. With a chisel. And then she fell down. I went off. And ejaculated. (laughs) I mean, we could just. We're probably not even going to say that anymore. Just put that in there. (laughs) We get it. Okay. (laughs) And here's another chisel if you want to read this one. Case 61. Sophie Ruck. In autumn of 1929, I met a couple in the Rosastras. I wanted to interfere, so I hit the man over the head with a chisel. The man ran away. Then, all together now, I he ejaculated. ejaculated. That's going to be the title of this one. Then I ejaculated. <laughs> Holy Jesus, freak. All right, let me see. Let's talk about the first murder right quick to kind of go back. Now, this is what he claims is his first murder. It was November 1899. It was an 18-year-old girl, and they actually went to the Hof... Do you know what a Hofgarten is? 
Um, no. I was going to say no. Yeah, I think it's like a beer garden or something, like uh, just a bar or something, like a brewery maybe. I'm not sure though. I went with her to the Hof Garden, past the zoo, and on the way home, I took her into the country and I throttled her. That's his words. And then he leaves her there, but he's not sure if she was dead or not. He basically choked her to death. Mm. And um, actually, the police never found out that they never connected that and they couldn't even find the victim. So that might not even have been a murder, but that was like his first time killing a human. Choked her to death and the police actually you mean never, before the child before the child oh, this oh, is like oh. the first one ever 1899 oh, remember gotcha. these other murders in 1929 so 3 years later june 1913 he picks up another girl they start dating literally and they go actually go to a dance on the way home same shit he brings her into the woods throttles her by choking her to death and says that's what love's like you know so he also used axes as one mm. of his weapons. Now this is um, well he calls them choppers, choppers like, to the chopper, yeah, kind of shit. I feel like axes make quite a uh, many appearance in this podcast. We do a lot of murders with axes. Yeah. So this is case number eight. Going back. One Saturday evening in June 1913, I left home. At 8 o'clock and set forth a Gersheim. From a cellar under the Holy Trinity Church, I took a chopper. At about 11 o'clock, I saw an unaccompanied girl enter a house. In the passage, I gave her a sharp and heavy blow on the head so that she crumpled without a murmur. The girl was about 1.68 meters tall, slim, between 18 and 20 years of age. There was also one time that he had two victims simultaneously. Uh, these are two... Uh, Two girls, they were best friends. And um, this is case 58. It says, quote, I went back to the place where Lindzen, the bigger girl, had left us. Now, he meets these two girls, they're best friends. They're at a carnival, they're playing games. And he comes up and talks to them. And there's what he calls a bigger girl, you know, chubby girl. And then there's a smaller, slim girl. He's basically hitting on the slim girl and he kind of demands the uh, chubbier girl to go get him some cigarettes. And she does. And mm-hmm. after that, they all meet up again and then they walk home. And this is kind of what happens. He says, quote, she gave me the cigarettes. I seized her by the throat and strangled her. I mean, it's like, here's your cigarettes. Oh, thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like, what the fuck? But again, going back to the whole nickname. So he's not doing the whole blood sucking thing every time. Yeah, it... I only saw a few times where he was huh. doing the tasting the blood, but honestly, it may have been one of those things that he didn't want to admit because the professor that wrote this book actually had to pry it out of him. You can tell, you know, mm. and that's when he was like, "The only time I did that was, you know, this time, this time, this time, this time, and this time, yeah." And, this time. and then it was just kind of like, and he may have been doing it the entire time, but I believe that's where he got his nickname from. Well, I mean, I know, like, I was just wondering if it, it was maybe the media that blew it out of proportion. Oh yeah, they definitely blew it out of proportion. But um, then he goes on with my with my left arm, I seized her round the body and carried her, still throttling her down the path round the bean patch to the garden, so that I was hidden by the beans. Hmm. All right. Well, saved by the means. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, let's see. I seized her throat and I drew my dagger from my pocket, put it in my right hand, stabbed her in the breast and side. Then I relaxed my grip. And it, then he says, she sank to the ground. The, the bigger girl sank to the ground. Then I made off and at half past 11, I was home again. My wife was still awake. We talked naturally. <laughs> I was hmm. like, what the fuck? Holy shit. So we're going to kind of end this episode with probably the worst disgusting and vile murder he's done. Great. Yeah. So this is actually summer of 1913. Now, I don't know if I talked about this last episode, but he used to rob a lot. Like go in and rob. I mean, Hmm. you know, for jewelry and to sell it. I wonder if he like graduated from the robbing. Oh, yeah. Well, remember, he was in prison quite young. So much light came through the window from the street that I could see clearly everything in the room. In the bed, I saw a sleeping girl of about 10, covered with a thick feather bed. She was lying with her head towards the window. I seized her by the neck with my hands and throttled her for one or two minutes. The child woke up, struggled to free herself, scratched my hand, and then became unconscious and still. Her arms were thrown up above her head. I then drew her head over the edge of the bed and threw the feather bed to the foot of it. With one or two fingers, I penetrated the genitals. With a small but sharp pocket knife, I made a deep cut in the throat of the child. I started on the left side of the throat, drawing the knife to the right with the right hand. I heard the blood gurgle up and drip on the mat. It spattered my hand. The whole business did not take more than three minutes. I left the room and made off. I wonder if the sex, like the, I know I mentioned this before. It's, I, maybe he's, um, maybe the reason why he's able to do sexual things with the child is because they're a little bit more defenseless. I don't know. That's a good question that you brought that up. Um, I actually didn't even think about that because I mean, but then I don't again, know. if some of these victims were his girlfriends, I mean, there's probably some sexualness there too. Yeah, but it's. That part might be consensual. Yeah, so that was probably one of the... So basically, he breaks into this home, and there's a little girl, 10-year-old girl, sleeping, like, upstairs. The parents are home and everything. He just randomly jumps on the bed and pulls out a pocket knife and slits her throat from left ear to right ear. It's fucking crazy. The autopsy showed that the actual child's tongue was bitten off. Like, half half of it was bitten off. Oh, my God. Yeah, and the throat had two wounds that were separated from each other, so she was actually choked as well as slit. Um, the, bronch- the bronchial tubes were filled with blood and that both cardioids were undamaged. And also it says, quote, the perineum was torn from vagina to rectum. Ugh. That's like, oh, several tears extending to the mucous membrane of the upper vaginal passage. So, you know what? Now that you, now that I think about it, all right. So it seems that he's doing a lot of sexual acts to children, but I wonder if it's because you know they're virgins, and you Maybe. know it, it's uh, more gratifying. It, it could be more damaging down there. You know what I'm saying? It's there's going to be blood there. Yeah, because I don't think I don't think he raped this child. I think he just you know completely with his knife just. Slid it. Slid it. Damaged it, you know? Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's so weird. Yeah, it is. It's fucking bizarre. If you, yeah, exactly. 
And the, the bottom line of this case is he doesn't achieve sexual gratification with sex or anything. It's only the sight of someone in intent, in intense pain, bleeding and all this stuff, excruciating mm. pain. That's what gets him off. Remember last episode I said if he wants to, you know, if he could see a mass casualty situation, that would be perfect yeah, for him. Yeah. So the the train uh, train killer, Matuska, Matuska, you know, th- he was a sadist too. Now yeah. that you think about it, you oh know? yeah, because that was like the first case that we covered that was like that. It was so odd, you know. But yeah. now that this one kind of compares to it, it makes more sense. And in fact, Peter Curtin goes goes to court and all this stuff, and he actually went through the whole trial, and he didn't you know, he didn't deny anything, you know, in fact, he asked for forgiveness from the families, all the families. And he says, you know, I know exactly what I did. I want to, my punishment to be just and all this stuff. But he also said, and this is important, kind of like, it's not his fault. It not, not his fault, but he's got like a mental illness, Hmm. you know? And I wonder if that is true. That he really cannot stop it. Well, I agree. He's got some sort of fucking mental illness. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's really scary because how many people are like that out today, mm. you know, that that are, they get this urge that's so powerful that they can't control it and they're, they are sadists like this. Even in this book, it mentioned it once and I want to revisit it someday once we find more cases like this. But one of, I know there was two cases that we've done that the killer has mentioned this. One of them was that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Wetlauver, the mm-hmm. uh, angel of death. Yep. She said very specifically that when she is about to kill, she sees red, like a surge of red. A red surge is what she called it. Oh. This guy said the same thing. He said his entire vision kind of goes red, hmm. you know, and I, I wonder if there's something to that, a yeah. psychology, uh, some kind of physiology you know, towards that. Cause it's very interesting. And this is like probably the third time I've seen that. Maybe just like the thought of blood enters into their subconscious. I don't know. And maybe it makes them like see red. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So if that- any of our tacos know, I feel like that's probably a, <laughs> oh, shit. I feel like some someone would know that who listens. Yeah. I mean, we could get more into the killings on this one, but I think you guys are good. You guys know who this guy is. I just, this one's bad. And he didn't get his pardon. He didn't get his Poor pardon. Poor no. guy. He didn't get his pardon, and he he asked for forgiveness, and he actually was allowed to write 13 farewell letters right before he got executed to, to, who? to the victim's family, asking for forgiveness, saying that he's going to, you know, be in heaven, seeking forgiveness and stuff like that. First of all, if there is <laughs> heaven, you will not be there, Yeah, sir. but you got to remember, though, if he can't control it, that doesn't mean it's like get out of jail. I know free it's card. not get out of jail free card. I get that, but I believe it may be some mental illness that is really. I, I think know. anyone who thinks killing is okay has some sort of a mental illness. Yeah, especially the swan. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all for Peter Curtin. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Kind of short episodes here for the holiday seasons, you know. Um, I can't wait to get back into it. Yeah, but I hope you guys throttle. have a. Um, oh, get, I didn't even mean to do that. Throttle, full throttle. Oh, full throttle. I hope you guys have a great New Year's, and um, 
We really hope that 2020... Our next, our Taco Tuesday episode is going to be released on New Year's Eve. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see you guys then. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Talk Murder to Me. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button or whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our sadist, go to talkmer.com slash join. Become a Talko Supremo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder Podcast. My name is John, and I'm here with Nicole. And until next time, good night, good night, you lovely, lovely people. Thank you.